it's sad to see them go, but at the same time, it, it makes me happy as well because now I know once they go back, that's when, you know, the change that they want to see is going to take effect. And of course, not all of them will be successful. That that would be too good of a dream. You know, and, uh, it's like somebody will be more successful than others. But for them, their life has changed. They had seven months here where they personally grown and they all go back. And I'm sure that every single one of them will improve lives of others surrounding them. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Giraffe Heroes Sabrina Tembeken and Paul Cronenberg want to encourage social visionaries and specific ones, young people, especially from developing countries who live in the margins of society. They are to become ethical entrepreneurs. You have met some of them in this podcast, Cantari alumni, people who have overcome adversity, be it discrimination for belonging to a minority like LGBTQI, being a visual impaired or having suffered sexual abuse, being an albino, just to mention a few. These social change makers are baked at the Cantari Leadership Program for Visionaries in Kerala, India. The program is a final stop before starting an own organization, venture, NGO, or social enterprise. But before that, there is the Cantari Talks, the dream speech of the participants. Dear listeners, welcome. Today in the podcast to restore your faith in humanity, it's my pleasure to talk to Giraffe Hero, co-founder of Cantari, Paul Cronenberg. Welcome, Paul. Great having you in our podcast today. Thank you for having me. The Cantari Talks are the culmination of the intensive, hands-on, seven-month social leadership program. Their projects cover the areas of protecting the environment, human rights, alternative learning, and empowering the marginalized. What is expecting us this weekend on Friday the 17th and Saturday the 18th of December? Well, uh, good stories always start with once upon a time. <laughs> and... A story, the power of stories is well known, I guess, across the world. The power, you know, the power of stories is one story can change your entire life. And I, I do think that the stories that our change makers that we work with bring can change lives of people in general. If I see what certain hardships and adversity they have overcome, and if you put into perspective of, you know, people living a pretty well-off life in several parts of the world, I think we can learn a lot about the strength of people. And especially when, when people are very committed to a cause that basically anything is possible. Yeah. Together with Sabrina, you first had the idea and then realized the Cantari program for social change makers. What is the initial approach? How did you get started? Well, we, we were working in Tibet for about nine, well, we worked all together there for 19 years. And we're working mainly with blind students, blind children, adolescents. And at some point we were looking at a way to find a, a training for our students so that they could, you know, take over our role as the founders, directors of that organization. And when we looked around the world to, you know, practical, hands-on, experiential training programs, we couldn't find anything that was, you know, tailor-made for them. <laughs> and then we said, you know what, we've done this for, at that time, about 10 years. And we said, let's make our own. And that's how Cantari was born, basically. <laughs> An amazing idea. Dear listeners, will you quit a well-paid job overnight to join a person that you hardly know to start the first school for the blind in Tibet? Paul did exactly that. 
What motivated you to take this path and start this work, which ended up with the two of you founding Cantari? Well, a lot of people, they think that I fell in love with Sabria and that's, you know, the whole love story. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen. Initially, of course, we got along very well, but it was not the reason. Sabria was not the reason as such that I quit my job and, and joined her. For me, I've been on a, my own journey for, for a long time before that. And I did quite a bit of work in the so-called development sector. I was in Africa, built a school in the Sutu, uh, was in several other programs, Eastern Europe, in Italy, worked with disabled people. And having seen all that, you know, gave me some feeling of what, what can I do, right? It's And what do I want to do? And when Sabria told me her story, that she wanted to start up this school for the blind in Tibet. And I was like, why not? You know, let's, let's join. And a lot of people, they say, boy, oh, that's so courageous of you. And, uh, you know, and, and I said, no, nah, it has it nothing is. to do with, it has no, nothing don't, to do don't with. Make it, don't make it small. No, it no, 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 wait, wait, no, let me explain. Let me explain because it's, it has nothing to do with courage because you need courage when you are afraid. And I think that Sabri and I, we have one, you know, like thing in common. And that is that we are not afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I see and and I always put this back to that we are not born with fear, we are born fearless. A, a baby puts everything in its mouth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Everything, right. and yeah. until the mom comes, you know, and says dangerous. Oh, that dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. So, so danger is a concept that has been put in, into us, you know, because we don't know it when, we, when we're born. We're born with love, but we're not born with fear. Yeah, that's right. And I think the biggest, well, to, to have this, you know, fearlessness, uh, it's not that we're not worried about certain things, but we, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? And my, I, I came up with this slogan that is pretty well known, I think. It's like, as long as you're not going to die, why don't you try? <laughs> so the the second worst what can go wrong is that you fail but failure is is a blessing because once you failed right hopefully you learn something so then the next time you try you 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 do it right <laughs> and so and i think sabri and i we we did fail quite a bit especially back in <laughs> in tibet and that's why we said okay now we have to set up a program that prevents people that are very, very motivated to make a difference in the world to prevent them from failing in real life. So basically, we're going to have a kind of a simulation where they can fail in a, a safe environment, where they can, you know, l- and learn from that. So by the time they get out of Kantari, uh, get out of our training center, that they're not beginners anymore. After all these years, how long has it been like? We, I met Sabri in 1997. And then in 1998, we went back to Tibet together. And uh, Sabria was actually calling me up because I told her in 97, I said, that sounds interesting what you're doing. Just give me a call and we do this together. And then about nine months later, she called me up and uh, she said, well, next week I'm leaving back to Tibet. And I didn't say anything. And yeah, you know, Sabria. So she was a little bit impatient and she said, uh, well, you don't have to cry or anything. At least you can wish me luck. (laughs) And uh, I still didn't say anything. And then uh, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll join you. So the next day I quit my job. And then Five days after that, we we were flying back to Tibet. And I think it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah, I also think so. It's (laughs) it's really amazing. What did you realize along the way? What had to be adjusted, speaking about Kantari? We started with the goal that we would give all the tools and skills necessary for people to run or to start run an organization in an effective way. Because we, we made a lot of mistakes and it cost us about two, three years in Tibet before we really were able to, to focus on the students themselves. 
and that that's lost time. So we said, okay, let's let's try to prepare them in such way that when they go home and they hit the ground running, right, so that they they what they can get started and immediately after a few weeks after they're home and they're registered with their organization, that they can start creating the impact that is required to address the social issue that that they were affected by themselves. So over the years, of course, yeah, we 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 learn a lot. We learn every day. We're we're very we're in a very lucky position. See, the lucky part, we already had 10 years of experience in running an organization, or at least trying to make it run. Uh, we had lots of challenges and, and failures. And so we, had, we, we brought a little bit of experience. And what we did in the beginning, we thought, okay, we, we need the help of professors and universities. So we contacted them. And, and then we found out that that was not the way, <laughs> because it was all very theoretical. And I, I sometimes have the example that, you know, uh, you learn swimming from a swimming teacher that learned swimming in the internet through an internet course, an online course, and has never been in the water and on top of it is afraid of the water. <laughs> so how can that person convincingly tell you, yeah, you're doing it right or wrong uh, when I you're drowning? I won't, right? go, I won't go into the water with <laughs> a person like that. <laughs> exactly. So, And for us, that was, so we, we found out quickly that we have to look for people that have started their organizations, who had failed, who could help us with what they did to make it right. So we brought a little bit of experience, but we found a lot of other people that had way more experience in running organizations and basically we took all the experience put it all together and created this this curriculum a journey in five acts so the Kantari curriculum and it's amazing I mean you just have to look out uh, the the result in all these years Sabrina you and I guess every team member at Kantari believe that uh, real change starts from within and this is what you are planning to do or it's actually what you are doing with your Kantari program tell me a bit about this belief Change from within. That's probably one of the yeah the taglines that that fits Kantari very yeah. well. Um, change from within is is we looked at a way where has change been sustainable. Looking back in the history of the world, where has change been sustainable? And if you look back, you can see that in most cases, when there is an external factor, change was not sustainable. And looking at the traditional method of the, well, the Western world versus the so-called developing world, it's hardly sustainable because the Westerner goes in, thinks that they know everything, and they put some money in, they put some training in, and when they leave, suddenly it, it kind of collapses. And we've seen that over and over again. And so we said that's not going to work. So the change from within factor is that if you work with people that have overcome adversity and you bring them to one place that's here, And they go back, first of all, they go back to their own environment, their own country. They speak the local language. They know the culture. They know the history. They know the, the context, right, the cultural context. And, of course, they, they are part of the target group, right? Uh, the example of, of Jane Whitera, I think you interviewed Jane as well. Yeah, yeah we have. Uh, right? So Jane is, is a person with albinism, and she went home back to Kenya in 2009, and she could say, we, people with albinism, should not be killed. How strong is that? Instead of a Westerner going there, you should not kill each other. You know, like it's, uh, that's, uh, it's, 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 that, that is a change from within. And, and I think Sabria has a wonderful example for that. She's uh, like, she's standing on the side of the road with a white cane. She's waiting for a friend and here comes the, the Westerner, right? It's, and so uh, without asking Sabria, grabs her, carries her across the street and halfway Sabria says, sorry, I was waiting for a friend. And then the helping hand, somebody doesn't even know who it is, is gone, probably angry. I was helping you. You're not very grateful. And then the, the only problem is that Sabri is in more 
danger or in a more challenging situation after being helped <laughs> because now she's standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's standing somewhere where she doesn't know. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's something yeah. that we, we said, okay, that's something that's not going to work. So people come here, they go back and they create a difference within, you know, a community of peers. Mm. And now you have like many rounds of cantaries and over 200 of them being graduated on campus. What can you be sure of is crucial in a personality to become a social change maker and really be able to make a difference and shake up other people's mind back in their communities? I think it's the, the most important part is motivation and an intrinsic drive. I would like to go back a little bit of how we all started, where I see a big issue with many people around the world. Yes, um, so Sabria was going through Tibet, found a lot of blind children, and they were locked, uh, you know, locked in dark rooms and they were left to die. And she was very you know, shocked. But luckily on her trip in 1997, she met Tenzin. And Tenzin was a little boy and he said with a lot of confidence, he said, oh, you're blind, I'm blind too. Hmm. So Sabrina was wondering, how come? And here comes, and, and for me, this particular example is probably the most important one in life as such, as, as I know it. So he was the yak herder in the village, right? So that's number one. He had a task, right? Number one is the task. If you have a task, then number two, you have value. Number three, you are respected. Number four, if you're respected, you get dignity. And only then... Number five can come in, and that's self-confidence. And I know many, many people that never came to number four, dignity. And because of that, they, what, they've always been put down by parents, brothers, sisters, you know, society at large. So, and they overcompensate. And then there's the fake self-confidence. I see you <laughs> nodding your head. Yeah. <laughs> because then they overcompensate by expensive gadgets, yeah, maybe trophy right. wife, trophy husband, big house, you know, like big car. But inside there's something missing, right? And I think to become a, a social change maker, the first part is, okay, what do you want, right? And here it is, that's the second part. The, the most important question in life is, what do I want? And that's why with the students in Tibet and still now today, and I think this counts for everyone, back then we had a big challenge. How can we give these kids hope for the future? So we started a dream factory. And basically we were asking, okay, what is that you want? And I've got a very simple sentence. It's, it's if I have to, becomes I want to. That's where the magic happens. And that counts for anything. It counts for anyone and anywhere. And it doesn't matter if it's a commercial job or if it's an NGO job or if it's, it's a social uh, work. It doesn't matter as long as you know what it is that you want. Anything is possible, right? And I have my, my a slogan that I use is life is what you're happy getting up for. And if you're not happy getting up in the morning, that can happen a couple of times. But if that is a daily repetition and it goes on for months, for weeks, for months, for years, then something is wrong. And Unfortunately, what happens, and especially what happens with many people that miss that part dignity and therefore the lack of self-confidence, they start pointing fingers and they blame the entire world, right? And that's the thing. The only person that can change that situation is you, yeah. right? You have to make that first step out of that situation. And no matter wherever, you know, where you are in the world, there's always two choices. No matter if you're rich, poor, you know, no matter your skin color, no matter, no matter what, there's two choices that everybody has. One, you resign and you sit down in the corner and cry and you feel pity for yourself. Two, you accept it. And yes, it might be completely unfair. Life is unfair. 
Unfortunately, it's like that. But then we have to deal with it and we have to make the best out of each day. Yeah, that's right. And with this approach, you have been accompanying a lot of social change makers on their way to make the world a better place. There have been a lot of different people at Cantari with a vast diversity in topics they are approaching, mm. ways of doing things and ways of living. Do you at Cantari adjust your system and strategy to the composition of your participants or it is the other way around? How do you go about that? So, so we have a team of catalysts. And that's, that's one big difference that we have with regular schools where you have teachers and students. See, usually a teacher-student relationship is, well, the teacher is supposed to, you know, make the students so good or at least better than himself. But then, of course, they are, you know, losing or they're having a risk that they could lose their job because if yeah. the student gets better, <laughs> then they might take over. So uh, yeah. you see in a lot of cases, you see them not wanting the other ones to become really better now. That's the difference here because we want them to get better than us because maybe at some point they can run this place or, well, first of all, they have to run their own places. So they have to be very good. <laughs> so, and so what we do is, I think the best part of our position here is that we have this wide diversity of topics that we can, that we can work with. And see, if you want to run any kind of organization, If you want to, you know, if you are a social change maker and you want to run campaigns or you want to run a school, a school for the blind, you know, any, any kind of social venture, the one common, you know, the, the one point in common is that you need to have an organization. And the word says it. A lot of people, they, you know, they miss out on that little part because organization means that you have to be organized. <laughs> And that's exactly what we basically do here. We, what do you need to run an organization? Well, you need some knowledge about what it means to run an organization. First of all, it's the responsibilities that you will have, right? If you run an organization and you have people staying over at your place, And maybe if you have disabled people staying over at your place, that's a game changer because then the responsibilities are very, very high. Yeah, Now, yeah. the question is, do you want that, right? So maybe you can have a day school, right, where people come in in the morning, you go home at night, then your responsibilities are less. So one thing is about learning about responsibilities. The second one is you have to have certain policies in place because policies can absolutely save your organization and they have to be very well thought through. You have to have a financial system in place, right? Accounting, you have to see as, as, a, as an NGO, you depend on donations and somebody entrusts you to spend their money, which is, a, which is an amazing concept because, you know, they don't have the time to create what you do and basically they outsource their wish mm -hmm. to create yeah. some social impact to you. So that's a responsibility that comes with it. So you have to be accountable for the money, how it's been spent, right? Then you have to raise funds. Fundraising is part of it. You have to learn how to communicate. Then, of course, most important is the actual impact, the training that you're going to give. So curriculum development is very important, right? If you want to provide training, if you want to run a campaign, it's, it's again, it's about communication, having a website up, making your own video clips, audio pictures. So th there's, there's lots of parts that are equal for anyone if you run a commercial company or an NGO. That's all equal. And that's basically the, the part where everybody here is coming from. And then, of course, we learn, Sri and I and our entire team, we learn about environmental projects, about forestation, about watershedding, about disabilities, about civil wars, uh, peace building, you name it, right? All, yeah. all the, the terrible stuff that's going on in the world, we, we know about. And we work with people that are trying, you know, 
that that take the effort to to stop it or to change it for the positive. And I think that's a that's a very well, we're very in a very very lucky situation to be able to work with those people. Yeah, it's uh, it is. But when empowering others at such a scale, how do you ensure that everyone is moving in the same direction? We so that's a, that's an interesting question because when when people are getting together in groups, there will be fights, <laughs> and we have nothing. There's nothing wrong with a good fight, by the way. I learned that from Sabria. Um, I was raised Love in a family. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good fights, yes. Good fights come have an outcome, and there is a result. And that's uh, if you are willing to fight for a certain for something that is ethical, right? If you you put in your energy for that, then there will be a result. And the worst result that could happen is that you agree to disagree, but at least you you put your uh, how to say, put your thoughts forward and, and it was considered. So what we do when people come here, we, we create a code of conduct. So to make sure that everybody goes in the right direction. <laughs> I think everybody is to some level is egoistic and that's okay to some level because see, only if you are feeling well and doing well, you can do something for other people. So the first thing that you should think about, what do I want? Right. That's a very important question to have that. Of course, you can't always have what you want <laughs> and uh, it is give and take. And so when people come here and we are spending seven months on a relatively small campus together, the participants live on this campus. So we say, okay, how can we make sure that during this time, because you all came as leaders and, you know, in, in a few months from now, when you go home, you're going to be in a position where you are the leader, where you're the final responsible person for everything. So everything we do here should be thought from the perspective of you being in charge. Now, how can we best do that is by making everyone in charge. <laughs> and how do we do that is, so we have, we have our policies and our rules and regulations. And of course, a lot of our, are bound by the law of the country, right? And that's a good, that's, uh, that's absolutely fine now. And we can't change that, which is also fine. But how we on a daily basis, you know, work with each other that we can define, but we should define that together because there's nothing worse than people say, I have to. I have to do this. People don't want that. People want to do something. So what we do is in the beginning of the course, we first have an intercultural dialogue to see and to understand and to learn about each other's backgrounds, cultures, difference of understanding when it comes to time. <laughs> time is very important for the Westerners, not so much for the non-Westerners, and some, sometimes the other way around. So, it's, uh, so we have to first to understand, okay, where just everybody that's on this campus now, because this year we have eight different, um, with Sabri and my included, we have 10 different countries, right? People from 10 different countries. So, and yes, cultures, cultures, they clash and that's fine, but let's get a common ground. And that's what we do with this code of conduct. So we ask everybody what they don't want. And then we say, okay, how can we transfer that into a positive? And then we define our code of conduct that starts with Kantari is a place where we respect each other through and then there's a long list of positive things. And then we physically sign that document. Okay. And we do that in the beginning of the course. And everybody gets a copy. And the best thing about that is that once everybody has signed, everybody is the owner. And okay, if, so it's not a contract. It's like... Uh, well, it is a contract more or less, but it's a contract with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody agreed. So now the good thing is if Sabri and I, because of course we are still from the... You know, we don't like the hierarchy. That's why we write Kantari with a small K. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we have a flat hierarchy. But yes, somebody is, is in the end responsible. But the best thing is of this, if somebody would be smoking, for example, in a non-smoking place, anyone 
can tell that person, hey, remember, we have the code of conduct, smoking places uh, over yonder, right? And that person would then say, oh, thank you for reminding me. And he would go because he agreed to this code of conduct. And so far, touch wood, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we didn't have many conflicts, that bad conflicts in, in campus in these last years. We had several conflicts, but not really that bad as they could have gotten if we would not have had that code of conduct. Yeah, that's amazing. I have to ask you something because you said that, um, you said before when you started to answer the, the question that you've, you have learned this, like, this topic about the fight and so on. You have learned it from, from Sabrije and yes. you wanted to, um, to tell something about your family. So um, <laughs> I'm curious, what do you have to, to say? <laughs> Now, I think, see, in my family, we grew up, my mom came from a family where fighting where there has been you know, a lot of fighting, uh, bakery family, hard work, and there was a third mother. They had a very hard uh, time. It was all in the war. They lost her first mom. She was pregnant of twins. The house got bombed, and uh, she lost her oldest brother during that time. Right after the war, the house, there was a bomb that didn't explode, and it exploded on the day they opened the bakery, so the house burned down again. My grandfather remarried. His wife died two years afterwards because of TB. And then if that wasn't worse enough in 1954, lightning hit the, the house and it burned oh, down to God. the ground again. And then uh, the third wife that my grandfather had, she was not the nicest person. And there was a lot of trauma tough on my mom's side where basically she you know, the fights that were going on back then and the, the trauma she had, she didn't want to repeat it in the family. So it's better, you know, we learned that silence is gold. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, growing up, and so we always were kind of, avoiding, you know, a conflict. And, and then I met Sabria and, and, you know, I learned how to fight and you have to come up with good reasons. And the, the, the nicest thing I think is with, with uh, Sabria is that we, we always fight about something essential. So it's not like, where did you put my lipstick? Well, Sabrina doesn't use lipstick. I, <laughs> me neither. So, <laughs> and it, it's always about something essential, but we have to think of good reasoning and, and coming with good, you know, good points that the other one understands, okay, this is why I do what I do, or I wish to see it as it is, right? It sometimes goes very loud, and when people hear us, you know, in the office, they think, <laughs> oh God, the office is going to collapse. And then 10 minutes after, we have a break, and then we meet up in the auditorium, and Sabri and I, we already are moving forward, because immediately when we stop the fight, it's done. That's really important. And then we move on, because we life is too short to stick, you know, to get stuck in, in something that, You can't change at that point anyway, anyway, right? So you have to move forward. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Together with the team, you also developed an encyclopedia where you collected, as far as I could understand, important skills that one should go through and have in mind when starting a new project. Could you talk a bit about this encyclopedia? Yes, it's, it's called uh, Spread the Spice. It's called the Spice Box, and it is all about spreading the spice. So just as a quick explanation, the Cantari is a very, very small chili, one of the spiciest chilies in the world, and that's what we named our institute after. And for us, the chili is, is the, well, the symbol of a change maker. Just bite on a chili and you go, boom, <laughs> you're awake, you're, it lowers yeah, your blood pressure, it has a little of good qualities. So, and, and for us, that's a perfect symbol. So we came up with the Spice Box, and the Spice Box is basically... A, an, it's, it's an online 
collection of lots and lots of tools and skills and kind of workshops that we've done at Kantari. And currently it's available for all the Kantari graduates. So they log in and if they have a problem with fundraising, they can go and there's a decision tool and the D stands, you know, the D, the E, the C, they all stand for steps in the process to find the right or potential donor. Then there's a clear project and the word CL, the letter CLE, they also stand again for, you know, steps in the process of defining a fundable project. I think that is, we, we did this last year during the pandemic because we couldn't have a course at that time. And we said, okay, we need to, to use our time well. So we did two parts. One is we worked on this encyclopedia and two, we started to raise funds to support people during, you know, the lockdowns. And we were able to help more than 10,000 people altogether. So, and this encyclopedia is going to be uh, like right now is only for the Kantari alumni. Is it possible for people outside the Kantari um, network to get to it? We're, we're looking into a way to get it to, to get that done or get it realized. We, we see the, the fact that we are depending on donations. It would be great if there's some kind of a revenue model with that so that people could, you know, have a small amount they could, you know, give for maybe like a, an annual subscription so that people have on one side, they have all the, you know, the tools for, because it, it can be used by any NGO as such, right? Of course, it's, it's helpful if you were here because there's some jargon that we use at Kantari specifically, but all in all, the, the methods, the methodologies are are the same. So we're still figuring out. And if any of the listeners uh, knows how that can be done in a practical way, what kind of you know technical technical requirements there are mm -hmm. yep. to set something up like that, that would be fantastic if they could uh, contact us and help us with that. Yeah. Okay. Before we just keep talking about Cantari and so on, you have mentioned before that, and I know that uh, you and Sabrina you are together, and you said that you didn't follow her because of of love and and so on, so, but but because you really believed that what she was doing was great. So when did uh, or when does the love came and, and how how it developed? <laughs> <laughs> First, first, I'll, I'll, I'll share something with you because Sabria took pictures in 1997. And so Sabria is, is judging people by their voice, not so much by their looks. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> so, and so she took pictures and, and from my voice, because I've got a deeper voice, she thought I had uh, black hair. <laughs> and now it happens to be that she, she fancies black hair. Okay. Now, at some point, somebody was asking, as they said, oh, wow, your story, you know, that would be, should be made into a movie. And then somebody said, oh, then Brad Pitt should play Paul. And then Sabria said, what do you mean Brad Pitt? <laughs> Isn't Brad Pitt blonde? And then I said, yep. Yeah. So what happened was she, she took pictures and she showed these pictures to her parents at home and friends at home. And uh, so they were asking, who is the blonde guy? <laughs> and so when we met, this was you know the first time we met after 97, uh, she was asking me, she said, Paul, you were there maybe because I have no idea who this person is. You know, again, uh, I said, yeah, show me, show me your pictures. And then I said, well, that's me. And she was very disappointed. <laughs> But we still ended up together. So I, th I think what brought us together, well, I think we're, we're very... A lot of people, they believe that we're brother and sister in that sense because we look alike, we have the same sense of humor, uh, we have a similar uh, speed. 
um, which is which I think is great because we're both very fast people. Uh, we, we we walk fast, we think fast, we act fast, we make mistakes fast. <laughs> but then, of course, we also have uh, solutions fast. <laughs> so what what happened is we we went through some really rough times together in in Tibet in the first few years. And Sabria wrote a book about this. It's called My Path Leads to Tibet. And there's lots of issues in there, but there are a lot of issues are not in there because of the well, Tibet is not a very uh, easy place. And so in one day we we had to leave overland and actually it's in the book the story is in the book because we had to we were forced out of the country uh, stamp was on the wrong page basically of, the, of our passport and we had to get a new visa and we went overland and this was during one of the worst floods in tibet in 1998 and uh, we were one of the last land cruisers that made it to the border and we drove over a bridge there was a big sign in chinese you know uh, you know signs were there we drove over the bridge and then I asked the driver, what did the sign say? He says, well, cross at own risk. <laughs> <laughs> and so luckily he told me after we crossed the bridge and, but then a, a day after that bridge actually collapsed and it's oh. one of the major uh, connections with Nepal that was blocked for weeks after that. And when we were in Nepal, we, we went over landslides. Uh, we, we really, on that day, I think we had about three, four chances to, have not made it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so in the end, in late, late at night, we arrived in, in Kathmandu. And then uh, because Sabria was thinking that I was doing this all because I felt pity for her because of her blindness. And, and then I told her, I said, well, actually, I like you. Okay. <laughs> and that's how we, uh, how it all started. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was easy. Like, like she accepted uh, at the very beginning or it was, uh, it was hard. No, then, uh, then after that, uh, everything was fine. Everything oh, yeah. was fine. After and that, I think yeah. we, like I said, we, we are very fast in <laughs> accepting things <laughs> and moving forward. So that was, uh, that was great. It was really, really great. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Let's go back to Kantari. Sure. Some participants have university degrees while others have little to no formal education. Some are blind or physical disabled or they have no disabilities at all. There is but a common denominator, definitely. Can you please enlighten us? Yes. So I, I mentioned earlier that I think for you know starting an organization, uh, it's what, what, what counts most is motivation and an intrinsic drive. And see, the major checkpoint that we have or the major requirement we have of, of a suitable Kantari participant is their personal history. At some point in their history, they've gotten to a an issue that was, you know, quite big and challenging and difficult. And then, you know, they had to stand up and show their strength to move forward. And and I'll give you a few examples. We like Jane Waitira as a person with albinism. People with albinism, it's believed they have special powers. And witch doctors, they well, they put a price on their head and literally mm-hmm. they are killed and chopped up in pieces. Yeah. And their, their body parts are, are sold as good luck charms. And so, so she's, she has an intrinsic motivation to stop, you know, to do something against it because it could, you know, it's, it's literally life and death, right? So that's a very strong uh, denominator for, for, <laughs> for, you know, taking action. Then we have women that have been affected or they were threatened to be circumcised that now are fighting female circumcision. We have ex-child soldiers from Liberia, Sierra Leone in the past who now are training ex-child soldiers in skills other than killing people to make a living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have, well, we have lots of different people that uh, either they have overcome adversity in the form of a disability. Right now we have Precious who is from uh, Zimbabwe who has uh, faced domestic violence in a very, very terrible way. And she's going to start a, an empowerment program for women. And see, you already feel it coming when they go back and they, they work with 
people like them, the first thing is there, and what is what is needed is trust from those who are in trouble, from the beneficiaries, from their future beneficiaries is trust. And I think in Tibet, the, the only reason why we we got to this where we gained trust was because Sabria was part of the target group. She was blind. So, you know, a blind person with a blind person, there's immediately, oh, you're blind too. So there's a connection, right? And this connection, I think, is very, very strong among the participants that we have when they go back. Once that connection is there, they talk about we, and together, you know, we are stronger. And and that's one thing that I keep telling, especially in the last couple of years. I'm I'm, I'm worried about the state of the world because it seems that the I has been beating the we, and if we can't fix that, I think then we are really in for, for big trouble in the future. And I think we have to understand that, you know, no one can do everything alone. No, no, We no. won't be able to survive alone, right? So the first, you know, point that we have to get in our heads is that we do depend on each other. So, you know, we have to work together to, you know, to move forward. And this is united, right, as, as one world and not as one state or one country. And I've got this example. I would like to share that. I, I hope you don't mind because I no, share no, this with basically Please. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. This is an example about how stupid people in general are, right? Because we, we're, we're working on something which is one of the most stupidest things. And I'll tell you with an example. The two people are sitting on a bench and they're having a big discussion. And one person says to the other one, I'm 100% sure that up in space there's very advanced alien life. So and they're arguing and this one person says, but how can you be so sure, you know, because we never met him. And then the other guy says, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they came with a spaceship, they parked it, you know, they put on their handbrake and they looked at this beautiful planet, Earth. And they were both you know, flabbergasted by the beauty of it. They said, wow, what amazing planet is green and brown and, and blue. And, and then they were zooming in and they, uh, one alien said to the other one, he said, well, what are those, you know, those creatures? And he said, oh, oh those called, uh, are called people. And he said, what, what do these people do? He said, well, they confuse me because I did a little bit of study and they walk into shops and they buy these packages that says smoking kills. <laughs> so the other alien says, so they're all suicidal. He said, well, I don't know, but millions of them seem to because they do it on a daily basis, right? So then they zoomed in further and they said, they discovered that it's, it's not just one world. It's, it was divided in patches. And then the other alien said, what do you mean patches? He said, well, they're called countries. Then he was pointing at one country in particular. And he said, this is the United States of America. And last year they spent $80 billion on weapons. And so the other alien, he was scratching his head and he said, so which aliens are they defending themselves against? And the other said, no, 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 not aliens, other people from other countries. And then they didn't, they completely lost it and they, they kept zooming and then it came to the equator level and saw poor people digging in the earth, taking out bits and pieces of gold and they would, you know, put it into little nuggets and they would melt it into, you know, little bars and that went to the next person and to the next person. And suddenly these bars kept getting bigger and bigger and the biggest bars, guess where they end up? In the Northern Hemisphere, and guess what they do with it? They put it back in the ground in the safe. <laughs> <laughs> and that sums it up, right? And that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're somehow, you know, running after something so valuable we believe is so valuable. And yes, yeah, I know, understand, we do need money as a means, but it's, it should not be there to be, you know, put back into the safe. And I think we can do better. As, as, human, as humans in general, I think we can do better as what we've shown right now. And that's that's basically the the goal we have at Kantari is to try to find the right people that that help us to to get back or get to a level where we can do better and show that we can do better than what we're doing right now. 
And how do you recognize someone has leadership potential? How is the selection process at Cantari? If we only would know, you know, <laughs> then we would, if it, that's the biggest, that, that's a big challenge though, because if somebody can speak very well, it doesn't mean that they're great leaders. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's leadership. I, I, I have this also on my profile as well as the leadership is something that you use your talent, everything that you know every day to create a more ethical and better tomorrow. So every day, right. That's important because see a lot of people, they are at some point and that's where, where um, corruption comes in when they suddenly see their personal gain versus others. And they say like, Hey, but I'm doing well. Why shouldn't I take more care of myself now? And I think that's where, again, where the we comes in, right? The, the, the I has to beat, you know, it should not beat the we anymore. We should, the we should beat the I. And, and that's something that we look at. So yeah, the selection procedure, we have a, a strict intake for Kantari. It's not easy to get in. And why that is, is because our measurement of success is not the amount of people that we train, but the amount of people that start and run organizations. That's a big difference, right? Because you can train the entire world if they're not going to do something. Uh, it's no use, right? Um, there's, there's this, nowadays people talk about awareness, mindset shift, paradigm shifts, talk, talk, talk. See, it's only one straw, say 8 billion people. As long as you don't have people that say, no, I don't want that straw anymore, right? We're not doing, we're not going to change anything. And that's the thing, right? We have to come to people that have, well, our selection process for leaders is they have had, of course, they have to bring some, you know, plan for social change that is related to them having overcome some kind of adversity, they have to be 22 plus. We rather focus on people mid 30, 30, early 30s up because they have lived already a little bit more. They know what it is about, what they want to do, and maybe also for a longer period in life. It should definitely be people that are in it for the long run. It's, it's a way of life. For Sabri and I, this is a way of life. It's not just a job. It's never a job. We are here 24-7. We, we work seven days yeah. a week. And people <laughs> say we're crazy. Uh, we love it. <laughs> so it's, uh, for us, it's like we, we love to be here. And, and we're very grateful that we can do what we do. People have to speak colloquial English. They don't have to be perfect, but they have to have an understanding. And they have to know basic computer skills. So we don't, we're not asking for too much. Education, we don't mind. You know, people can have can be educated. If they, they never went to school, it's also fine. It's it's the attitude, right? That that's what what counts for us. Yeah, yeah, that sounds um, sounds amazing. We we have good people, man. We have really good. It's, uh, no, you had you have a good eye. It's like um, well, it's 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 a process, right? So we we I think the process got better over the years, and we have to be more strict of saying, okay, this we're going to take this one off. And yes, every year there's one or two people that you know we had one guy that dropped out this year, so we had 17. And the guy was a little bit unethical, so we had to let him go. He didn't make his two points, and well, then he has to go. That's how it is, right? It's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's how it is. That's how life yeah. is. So it's, uh, now we're, we're um, I don't know. It's like every day I, I can't. I give every day. I, I told you, I think earlier. I give every day. I give a note at the end of the day, and uh, I have no right to score lower than six points, which you need to pass an exam in Europe. And usually, I'm I'm on seven or eight because. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. That was always the case, right? So yeah, that yeah, was now a little mm -hmm. less. I've got Sabria jackpot. I'm, I'm working and I've worked in two of the most beautiful places in the world, Tibet and here, and we're still here. We work with motivated people. Most important for me, one of the most important things is I get up because I want to get up. <laughs> <laughs> five o'clock, you know, five to five. I can't wait. I can't wait to get up, come here. 
I love coming here, opening up that door, putting on the kettle, make a coffee, right, and get started. It's just, ah. Then, and then, of course, there's thousands of other reasons. I've got healthcare access. Uh, I can afford it. I was insured. We got food. We got clean drinking water. We got shelter. We're safe. We're not being killed because of my skin color. There are no landmines mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Oh, man, the list is so long. The list yeah, is yeah, so long. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's you're lucky. You're, yeah. you're lucky. You're yeah. really lucky. But at the yeah. same time, there's also a choice. Because when people say, oh, you got this beautiful campus. And some people, they tell me, oh, I would love to do what you do. I said, no, you don't, because then you would do it. <laughs> if you really tell me yeah, in my face right. that you love yeah. what you what you know that you really love to do what I do, then you, you're, you're lying it. to yourself. I'm sorry because then you would have been joining me or you would be going somewhere else and doing this, right? So there's there's a lot of people they have this wishful thinking and and I meant what I said because the you know a lot of people they we got knighted by the Dutch Queen, we got a lot of you know a lot of awards and recognitions. See, I don't think it's fair that we got that, and I tell you why, because my sister worked with disabled people. And they were mentally disabled. And she was beaten up by them. And she goes back. And she went back, back then. Now she works with disabled people again. She went back every day and gave those people the same love and care every single day. She got not mated by the Dutch Queen. And nobody noticed. Mm, yeah, that that nice. for me yeah. is respect. <laughs> so for me, see, if, and, and even more about, in, in a joking way, there's a lot of people, they go back to work, they, they hate and they keep going back. Well, that needs a recognition, right? <laughs> because they are determined. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but it's totally right. I imagine but also that there are a lot of people that never made it to, into Kantari. Are you following up on them? What makes some people... Uh, oh, wait. First of all, are you following these people? Well, it's, it, that, that would be an impossible task because we get about three, four, five hundred applications every year. So over 10 years, that's about, you know, that's, that's, that runs into the thousands of people. And see, Sabrina and I, we have a very simple structure. And I think that's something that works. Focus. See, you have to make a decision. You can't help the entire world, but you can help a few, you know, a, a number of people that you can be there for. And once they are here, Our full focus is on our participants. They get our full attention, right? And once they are gone, they get the attention of the mentors, which are now nowadays Kantari graduates for another three months to help them get started up. And by that time, then we have new group coming in and then we're going to be focusing on them. So see the follow-up with the people that didn't make it or that we had to say no to, of course, I feel very sorry for them, but it's not the end of the world. There's lots of other courses and, and other places where they could go. And we do, you know, what is nice, though, is that we have people that follow up with us because they really want to get in. And we had several people that, that applied four or five times. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, they got in because then we saw that they developed, they focused on what they wanted to do. We saw their motivation was right. Their idea has ripened a bit, right, so that they had a better focus They got some subject matter expertise because that's something we can't give. If somebody wants to do re- reforestation, we're, we're not specialists in reforestation. We build a little forest here in our campus and <laughs> we know a little bit about building. We know a little bit about everything but uh, or about many things, not everything. But, of course, we're not specialists. So subject matter expertise, that's something that they have to come with. What we give is the skills to run and start and, you know, continue an organization. Then what makes some people Cantaris and others don't? Um, I think it's 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 that intrinsic drive to say I have to stand up and this is my calling, right? This is my my purpose to address this particular point because I don't want other people to go through what I went through. 
And I think that is that's a very strong, you know, factor for anyone to make it into Kantari. Okay, so you don't think that anyone can be a social change maker? I think that anyone can be a social change maker, but of course, now we have to, we, we, I think we have to look a little bit more closer on being a change maker and being a leader. Okay. And I don't like the word leader as such. What I tell our participants a thousand times is say lead by example, right? So yes, if you have, if you're not a leader, you're a follower. <laughs> and yeah. the entire world cannot be made up by all leaders. <laughs> That's not going to work, <laughs> right? So, and it's, and it's fine if you're a follower. It's fine. I think everybody has their qualities, right? Somebody is a good team player. Other people rather play by themselves. And that's, and that's fair enough. It, it's, you have to find your role, right? And, and for leadership, Sabrina and I, we don't like the hierarchy. And yes, in the end, Right when anything happens here to Kantari, we know that we, Sabri and I, because we are the founders, directors, we have to make certain decisions. We have to take the consequences or face the consequences of certain actions. Right, that's that's up to us. Right, and and that's something I think, and that's where if you say change maker, everybody can be a change maker. It but it depends on what change they want to make. Right, if you say, see, Kantari is what we for us a Kantari is a person that stands up and leads a movement, starts an organization. So yes, you need those so-called leadership qualities in that person. But everyone, every single person on the planet can get up in the morning and ask how their neighbor is doing. And guess what? If everybody would be doing that, I think we would not be in the mess we're in today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, you're right. Paul, from your experience, what are the best approaches and practices to increase cultural awareness and prepare these social change makers for working in a difficult environment? We have a very interesting workshop. And, and I think this, this workshop, it's see, I, I told you I grew up in a family with four children, right? And sometimes we had these little pies and they would accidentally fall on the ground, you know, and then we <laughs> told my mom, can, can we have them? Can we have them? Because we couldn't sell them anymore. And then she said, yeah, 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 sure, but you should share. And, you know, the, the, but the one that cuts the pie picks last, Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, nice. now guess how, how big are those pieces, you know, uh, in, in percentages? Well, exactly one quarter, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. 25, because in the end, if you pick last, you could end up with the smallest piece. Now keep that in mind. And here is, here is the base of that exercise that we do. And it's based on, on the veal of ignorance. It's, it's, it's a little bit diverted from it, but the veal of ignorance by John Rawls. So imagine you're being given the power to, Make the rules for a new world where you're not born in yet. You know, you're not born yet. And you're given the power to make rules for a country, for, you know, the, the policies, the, the laws, everything. Now, the catch is, of course, you don't know where you're going to be born. Mm -hmm. Because you could be born in some African country, some, maybe in the USA, maybe in Japan, in China, in India, or in Switzerland for that matter. Right. So you don't know if you're going to be born a man or a woman. You don't know if you're going to be born gay or straight. What religion? If you're going to be told as a strong person, as a weak person, as a mentally sane person, maybe as a mentally insane person. So there are a lot of factors there, right? A lot of variables. And to to make sure. So basically, it's the story of the pie again. If you make the rules not in the right way and you end up being in, you know, born in the worst place ever <laughs> and in the worst condition ever, you, you, life will be very, very tough. And so now that in mind, and what we then do is we, we divide, you know, our participants in groups and we say, okay, what 
should be there. And I'm not going to tell you what the outcome is because this is uh, it's a very interesting uh, exercise. And I, I can recommend we do workshops for companies as well if they, yeah. <laughs> if they want to have us uh, and other organizations because this is a... Is okay, yeah. <laughs> no, but this, is, this is a very effective exercise because in the end, right, and the, the follow-up of that, I told you already about the, co- the code of conduct. Yeah. Um, this is, that's the, extent, the extended part of, you know, the, the outcome of the first, you know, design of a of a perfect in that sense of a of a not a perfect but a, a about a world that is where equality is given because people will not you know they will avoid that they end up in a place where they get less right so and and of course the ubuntu example ubuntu is very known there's this anthropologist from the west he goes to an african country and uh, he says let's a bunch of kids are there and he says let's have a race right and then he says i've got this this uh, bowl with all fruits and i put it there at the tree and when i say three two one you run and the first one gets all the fruits now he says three two one and the kids they don't react and suddenly they grab each other's hands they walk they walk, they don't run, they walk to the bowl and they stand around the bowl. And now he goes up to them, he says, I think you didn't get it because now we don't have a winner. And then one of the kids said, he says, well, what's the gain if only one person has everything and the rest has nothing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a beautiful example where, where yeah, and, and look, the resources that we have available, they are sufficient. They are enough. They are sufficient. It's just a matter of, do we want to share? Do we want everyone to have, you know, a fair share, right? That's the point. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, really nice. That leads to the next question. Fukantari, building networks is one of the core strengths. Yeah. Mm, does it hold the key to mastering change, networking? Well, well I think networking is, plays one factor, right? And I, I'll give you an example. And let's go back again to our own experience in Tibet. We started in Tibet and I, I worked as a volunteer for the, for the Swiss Red Cross. And there was a... The Swiss Red Cross, the Dutch Red Cross, and the Danish Red Cross, they had a consortium. And then they started up in a fight, the people that were leading each part. And then they merged, basically, which was very sad because they were doing great work in three different parts, but now they had to go to one office. Then there was uh, another big organization at the Red Cross, and they were both going to Nakchu. Uh, they both had 200 trucks fully loaded with uh, emergency, you know, supplies, food, and all that stuff because people were dying because of the terrible cold. It was one of the coldest winters ever. Yaks were dying, so people were really in, in need of help. So the leaders of both organizations were in a fight, and they, they were really in competition of each other. And so, you know, one of the organizations had permission to drive to Nacho. Now, the other organization, they said, yeah, but the other ones have it. And then the conclusion was drawn, okay, then we take it away from the other one. So then they had 400 truckloads and they had to be unloaded. And that's, that hurts, right? Because you know what hardship and how many people would have died because of that. They didn't get the help they needed at that point. So Sabrina and I, we, we were lucky in that sense that we were the first school of the blind in Tibet because we had no competitors, yeah. right? So, <laughs> and that's why we were welcome in basically every office of the other NGOs. And where we started with was we said, listen, if we want to be more efficient, and one more example I want to share. We, we had one, one boy, he's in a little village and we would drive him back and it was like hot water springs were not too far away from his place. So we would visit hot water springs on the, on the way. And in this village, there was a pump, a water pump. And the first time we got there, and I will, don't name, I will not name the organizations that did it, but there was a sticker of an organization, a very famous organization, on that water pump. 
And so we said, oh, did they make this? He said, no, 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 we built that pump. But then one day they came and they said, well, they're doing a sanitation program. And if they would, you know, if they would just give us the money for the pump, can we put our sticker? And they said, yeah, why not? So, and of course, in their report, it says they built another pump and they give them some money, right? So now half a year later, we went back to that village and hey, the sticker changed. Uh-huh. It, was a, it was the same pump. I took a picture of it the first time. Yeah. So it was the same, same pump. And it was a different organization. They said, what happened? And said, yeah, well, the sticker kind of rubbed off the previous one. <laughs> and uh, then this other organization came and they asked the same question. And they said, yeah, sure. And they paid them again. Yeah. And this happened three times. So we knew about this. And then we said, we, we gave this example and we, we called a meeting with all the NGOs. And we said, like, listen, can we do one thing? Because we, we all know fundraising is a hard, uh, it's hard work. And, you know, we, we definitely want to make sure that, you know, money is spent, can only be spent once and should be spent well. So let's sit together. And we created, I still have the form. We created a, a very simple form uh, where people could fill in, okay, the name of the organization, the contact person who was in charge, the local staff, phone numbers, where they work, what they were doing, what is the next, you know, plan for the next three months, roughly, right? So that we know at least who is working in what uh, region. We had one ophthalmologist, he went to Nakchu and he operated everyone there. Two weeks afterwards, another ophthalmologist from Holland came. He went also to Nakchu. He had no patients. And at the same time, in another area, people were waiting for operations. If only they would have talked to each other that year, would have seen many, many more people that cataract operations would have been operated. And I think that's what, see, networking in that sense. And I think it's, it's not just networking. It's just, first of all, accepting each other thing and, and believing that everybody has the right and good intentions that's the first thing, right? Because people see competition as enemies rather than, hey, if we would work be, together, it, yeah, maybe we can get more done, yeah, right? It's, yeah, that's, right. That, that should be the idea, shouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Actually, I mean, <laughs> actually, it would be nice if everybody think about that like that. It's the best, it's the best thing you can do. That, that, for, for me, I never understood why people are really... Tr- because, see, one organization cannot change the entire world. The only way how we can get it done is many, many, many organizations. And I think if people, there's so many grassroots organizations, they need support from the bigger organization because, first of all, they're on the ground. It's local people. They know what's happening. You can't come and, and like, if you look at, at the country of China, there's one organization that wants to solve all, you know, uh, one specific uh, social issue. That's not going to work. No, you need the local, small, smaller organizations that know the cultural setting, you know, and then you work together and see, okay, what is the best approach <clears throat> that we all get out of this mess? So at Cantary, you are creating or you are like you are baking um, social change makers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what can we learn from change makers and how can we take this knowledge and become change makers ourselves? I, th- I think one one part is that is strength. I think a strength that is on our website, we have one quote in the beginning that says, you keep telling yourself you cannot do a certain something, but you keep going on. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think that's, that's one thing where I've, if I see the hardship that some of our participants went through and they're still moving forward, I think that shows an incredible strength and, and resilience of the human spirit, right? In that sense. And, and I think that's one, one of the, for me, that's, that's, that gives me a lot of energy to move forward with what we do, because that's no matter how difficult the challenge is, these people are still standing and they keep on going and they making, you know, the difference for so many others in, in their direct surrounding, which is, uh, which is for us gives a lot of energy. Yeah. But not only these people, I mean, you yourself too, looking at your personal journey as a social change maker, 
that you are for decades now, uh, life is ruthless and comes around with every new surprises, not always positive ones. That's true. Yet, being in touch with you over the past year outwardly, you were one of the most optimistic, positive and embracing person I've met. How do you manage to cope with these ever-present challenges? Well, it's, it's, um, if, if you find what you love doing, Right, I think that's the best thing that can happen to you, and especially on a young age. So you should really give that a good thought. And yes, you're referring to it. Uh, this year, something happened. Uh, I got uh, in in February, a tumor was discovered in my uh, spine, and well, that's that's not a nice uh, you know news because I had a lot of pain from from November till till February, and we were looking at at sources where it had come from, and then a tumor was found in my spine, and it was in three vertebrae. And it was occupying 80% of the space there. And of course, the nerves that are there were completely crushed or you know, pushed. So it was a lot of pain. Uh, but luckily, I was in Kerala, where health care is extremely well, yeah. <laughs> uh, well organized and very good. So in, in three days, on the 5th of February, the tumor was removed successfully. And the first thing I did, because it was very hairy operation, because if, if one of the nerves would have been cut and my, my walking ability would be affected. And uh, so the first thing I did when I woke up that day was uh, I wiggled my toes and I was like, hey, <laughs> that's the work. So that's a good thing. And then I, uh, I still didn't know what it was. And then there was a biopsy was done. And two weeks after, and this was the waiting time. That was the, that, that's the, the, I think the hardest time was the waiting time because you don't know what it is. And then I went to the hospital and it was, uh, the oncologist was very straightforward. She said, well, it's, it's non-Hodgkin lymphoma. It's a, it's an aggressive form of cancer. And I want you on, on treatment. And I said, when can we start? And she said, well, today. I said, yeah, let's get started. So one <laughs> hour later, I was on chemo. <laughs> and I had six chemos. I had 15 radiation therapies. And yeah, luckily it, it all went well. And right now it's, um, you can't really tell what the status is because it's very hard to measure uh, this kind of cancer. But I'm feeling well. I have some side effects. But I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I'm here where I am. That we do what we do and uh, that we just, yeah, I don't know. We run a, you know, our campus, it's, we're on a beautiful lake. Uh, we've got amazing people around us. Uh, the, the healthcare system is, is extremely well organized. And yeah, just, just uh, grateful to be where I am and to be able to do what we do. Yeah, but still there are people that uh, are going to, you know, like, like get a depression, lie in bed and be really, really sad and, and so on. How do you manage not to be like that? Because it's like, I'm really amazed how optimistic and positive um, you can be. I, I think it's, it's see, I wrote to several people when, when I got this, uh, people were asking, do you see the glass half full or do you see the, uh, uh, the glass half, <laughs> half empty? And I said, well, uh, neither. I have a glass. glass. <laughs> I have a glass. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> how, how many people don't have, yeah. you know, don't even think about having a glass, right? I needed healthcare. And I needed a time when I needed very, very urgent, and it was right around the corner. If I would have been in Europe, it was right, and this was right during the pandemic and during the second wave here in India, that was extremely, so, so in, even during that time, it was still possible to get my treatments. And what I was most grateful for was that I could continue the work that I do. And I don't go to work, but I, you know, <laughs> being here on campus where I'm sitting right now, I've been here for one half years now and never been in one place for that long, but I've, I've been here every single day. And it's, for me, it's, uh, I told the, uh, maybe a funny thing, the, the oncologist, because I'm, I'm in the lake at least, well, I tried every day 
and sometimes even twice a day. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that makes really, I'm really uh, like it would be nice for me also to be there. You come the one day and you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll experience the lake. The lake does the lake for me is is oh man, it's, it gives so much energy. So then my oncologist said, well, because of your your immune system is is not so well, uh, you can't swim. I recommend not to swim. And I said, oh, I said, that's a big, because that's a big part of my life and a very important part of my health as well, I feel. And then, uh, so one day, and we had uh, the wife of our admin manager, she had a very bad experience uh, when she was young and she never swam again. And then she learned swimming again here in the lake. And one day we said, okay, you know what? We go into the ocean. And I joined. And it was a Sunday morning. We went to the ocean early morning. It was beautiful. One of the best swims ever. Then Sabria was invited to a talk show locally here with my oncologist. And so my oncologist asked Sabria, uh, does Paul swim? <laughs> <laughs> and then Sabria said, she didn't want to lie, of course. She said, not in the lake. <laughs> and then my oncologist said, well, well, where does he swim? He said, well, in the ocean. And she said, oh, my goodness, that's even more dangerous, right? <laughs> and so I, I, I had to go, go for my next chemo that Friday. And I sat with my uh, with the oncologist, I walked in and she looked at me angry and I said, yeah, 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 I know, I know, Sabria told me. And uh, <laughs> I said, can I ask you one question? And she said, yes. I said, you can't swim, can you? She said, no, I can't swim. I said, yeah, <laughs> then, it's, then it's dangerous if you go into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is. What will be your advice to our listeners who want to empower others or to empower themselves? I, th I think the first thing is to really think about Well, are you happy with what you're doing right now? See, we get a lot of every, we, we have a very eco-friendly campus and we got lots of architect students from around India and the world. They come to us about three to 5,000 every year before COVID. Now during COVID, unfortunately less, but uh, usually when, when it's all over, we hope to welcome them again to our campus. And the saddest part here and is that a lot of people, they are in a, in a study that they didn't choose so it's the parents that say, you become an architect, you become a doctor, you become this. And then again, the I have to comes in. And so when I look at these architect students, we have them like 80 or 100 people, they sit in our amphitheater and I do my talk. I don't talk much about architecture because I see that most of them are not architects. And the, the thing I tell them, I said, listen, do yourself a huge favor tonight or tomorrow morning when you brush your teeth. And this counts for everyone, also for every listener, I think. And just look into the mirror. And don't look at how your hair is or how you look or how you feel. Look at who is that person that is looking back at you. Who is that person? And what is that person? What kind of, you know, who, who is that person? And I tell to these architect students, I, said, I tell them, listen, if you are not looking at a born architect and a, a person that has architectural blood running through his veins, get out. Get out. Because you will not become a good architect. Period. Right. You will not become a good architect because it's going to, you're going to see it as a job and you become you end up as one of the thank God it's Friday people. And one of the, the thank God it's Friday people, I feel so sorry for them because, you know, till Friday, they make it Friday. There's a smile on their face on Saturday morning. It's already fading because there's only one day left in the weekend. On Monday, on, on Sunday, it's already fading completely. And on Monday morning, they, they put both hands in their faces because they have to go to that job again. Right? So if that's your life. And yes, it has to do with a little bit of self-confidence and to take a little risk, right? But as long as you're not going to die, why don't you try? <laughs> Find something first that you love doing. Start looking at opportunities to do that. And you see, one, one thing there, don't look at excuses why it's not possible, right? Because that's what the first thing you, you do, what most people do is they look for ways and, and they come up with why something is 
not possible. And that's very plausible because a lot of people will accept that. But it is, it is, it's silly if you do that because you're, you're cheating yourself, right? So I, I sent the other day, I'm just looking it up quickly here, one second. See, if, if you find that there's always a reason why you can do a particular uh, thing if you really set your mind to it. So if you're serious about changing your life, you'll find a way. If you're not, you'll find an excuse. Yeah, that's right. That's from Jen Sincero, who's an author. And I think that's a fantastic quote because it's, it's what we always tell participants here as well. We said, listen, don't look for the thousands of reasons that are all valid yeah, that are all absolutely, you know, that, that are, yes, you have, you're right. Don't look for these thousand reasons why something is not possible. Find the one reason why, you know, why it's worth trying at least, right? And if you fail the first time, well, try again. And if you fail five, six times, and then you also know maybe that's not for me. And that's also fine, right? It leads to something. See, the one that doesn't start is the loser. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Since 2009, 226 participants from 48 countries were trained at the Gantari campus in Trivandrum, Kerala, India. That's a lot of time, a lot of people, but I guess also a lot of criticism you have faced in that time. You also like mentioned before. Anything that people have criticized in the way you approach social change? Oh, a lot of people. We got a lot of criticism and, and still do, which is good. I think it's good because that keeps you on, on your toes, right? If, if, if everybody just says, great, 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 and uh, there's no need for change or further development, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, of course, it's, it's, it depends on how people provide feedback, right? If somebody says, it's all, this is terrible, this is terrible, and, they don't, and you ask them, but what and why? And there's nothing coming back. That's not feedback, right? So if somebody has a good reason, why certain things are not good enough or, or then also that doesn't give you a chance to explore that and to, to improve it. So we had, well, in Kerala locally, of course, we first, people were very, how to say, they were very suspicious about uh, what we wanted to do. And I think there's worldwide, there is this tendency of people to question people that work in social organizations, because if you're not in it for the money, you must be having some other agenda, yeah. right? So, and I think, yes, money is a, is a mean to do whatever, you know, it is you want to do, but it's not the goal, right? And if you for yourself define a specific social change element as the goal of your life, money, you know, will come. And I'm, I'm saying that with, because see, I've never, and if, if you follow your passion, right, it doesn't even have to, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a social pro, uh, project or, or goal you have. If you do something that is, that you're passionate about, money will come. I've never seen a passionate person uh, living on the street. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Is it, and, and yet, and, and yes, I know a lot of people that end up on the street because we, we work with several people that work with homeless people. And a lot of people, they ended up there under terrible circumstances. And it's, it's, so there's nothing against them, right? That's, that's one point. Um, and I want to quickly share one, one story about that because it's an important one. We had one of our participants was working. He, he lost his father when he was five years old. He's from Pondicherry. He became a child laborer. And then he, luckily, when he was 11 years old, he was taken up by an NGO and he was put in school and he became a graphic designer and photographer. Now, he had, uh, he came here and he wanted to do some work for the homeless because he is, he lost his heart to the homeless. And then we said, look, you've never been homeless. So you're not an insider, right? You're kind of, 
from a top-down approach, you're going to them and tell them what's good. And then he said, he took up the challenge, he said, let, let's, let me go on the streets. And this was right before Christmas in 2017 when there was a cyclone hitting the south of India. So, and he went on Friday, Friday morning, he went, he had, he, he taped 10 rupees on his body for the rest. He just had some lumps on, he had his hair grown. And then he went on the street and he came back three days later and he was sitting, I'm sitting here at my desk. He was sitting right next to me here. <laughs> and he was crying and crying and crying. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, I've never been so cold, so hungry and so thirsty. And, and he said, but that was not the worst. I said, well, what, what, what then? And he said, well, on average, there are 3,000 people walking through that railway station per hour, day and night. And I became invisible. Yeah. Everyone, <laughs> everyone was looking away. That's really, really sad. And, 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 and here it comes. And this is the, what I learned from that lesson, and this is the thing. There is a slogan as well. Right? I love quotes. There's somebody <laughs> says, you know, somebody says, there's, there's a slogan that says, you are not only responsible for what you choose to do, but you're also responsible for what you choose not to do. So looking away is a choice. Looking away is a choice. And I see it and I, I, I did it myself and I still sometimes do. And I catch myself and I go like, damn, why are you doing that? Right? Because yes, we don't want to see it because it doesn't fit in into our daily, you know, what we were doing at that moment, but we are looking away and that's terrible. So like you, you asked, your question was, what can people do? What is advice to people um, to, become to become a change maker? Yeah. Look and don't look away, right? You see it every night on the TV. When you turn on the news, the newsreader starts with, good evening. And then 10 minutes afterwards, you wonder, you scratch your head, you go, wait, wait, did he, said, did he say good evening? <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible yeah, out there. Yeah, so, and of course, and then we zap, and what happens then? You get commercials. And a commercial tells you without this T-shirt, you can't be happy. So you're going to work to buy a T-shirt and you find you have that T-shirt. Well, it's already out of fashion. You have to buy another T-shirt. And you find out that you're in this eternal loop where you are being kept busy with something that is not important and you're not looking at what it matters, right? And this looking away is a choice. And I think if, if people want to become a change maker, first start looking around, you know, in your direct surrounding and see if there's anything that you can make a difference and you can by asking your neighbor, how are you? That's the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, Paul, besides not looking, is there something um, you'd like to do differently? For me? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, like I said, I'm extremely grateful to be in a position where I am because we, we, well, we work in, in a fantastic, beautiful place with motivated people, people that are, working on something that has meaning, that is, you know, that absolutely has purpose. So, so in that sense, we're extremely rich, right? And I, I think if, if I, somebody asked me this question, they said, if you had to swap with anyone in the whole wide world, <laughs> who would you swap with? And I was thinking, I was like, I don't want to swap with anyone, but if I have to, and I, I was thinking about this quite a long time, and I said, you know what, I'd like to, I'd like to swap with Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this guy is crying right now. No? <laughs> Even though you can't see it, uh, dear listeners, he's 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 crying, and that's and that's uh, really beautiful. That's true. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you for this uh, for this wonderful talk. I have another question. You said you were working with a lot of beautiful people with a lot of beautiful mm. dreams, but these beautiful people with a lot of beautiful dreams, there is also like this well-known self-sabotaging and internal voice. 
how does the critical self-sabotage internal voice, the voice of self-doubt or lack of believing, limit or not limit the participants? Yeah, I I, see, right now there's, there's this typical thing that's happening and where the, the participants is usually happening after five, six months when they are here because there's only one month left before they have to go home and start. And see, they're all on a high for these first five months because they are with people that believe in them. And now, of course, they know the end is nearing. I have to go back and then I'll be alone, right? And And the biggest challenge they have is probably, you know, facing the people back home because the last seven months, they're here for seven months, for them have been really, it has been a lot of change because they really get to know themselves. There's a huge, for some of them, it's a huge development. We see the day they come in where they're still not, they're not outspoken, they're still shy, and now they're up there, you know, roaring on stage, which is which is absolutely fantastic to see. And then they go home and then, you know, seven months back home, nothing much has changed, right? See, the people that they, so then, of course, for a lot of them, they went to India, especially for the Africans when they go, they went to India to get this education. Oh, yeah, so yeah. now the yeah. expectations that they're going to bring, first of all, money, somehow they think they now have access to money uh, and lots of other stuff. That is a huge, huge pressure on them. And that's that's where, you know, yeah, self-confidence, you know, little damage gets a dent and all that stuff. And we would tell them, please make sure that you stay in touch or are in touch with other Cantaris because they all went through this, right? And that's why we now the mentorship program, which is the last three months, once they go back, is that during that time, you know, they can, it's done now by former uh, Cantari participants, right? So graduates, they're now supporting them. So somebody in Kenya get support from another Kenyan that went through the whole process of registration, rejection, all these stuff. And so they can share that. And that's why we started the, the Kantari network of change and knowledge, NOC, and you did an interview with Megna, that, so that they have this network to fall back upon. Because the, the, the challenge they face is that people back home don't really understand them. Right, there's this mismatch of expectations and and responsibilities, and they have to be strong to to get through that. But once they manage that, they're rolling. And and their projects, they have thousands of beneficiaries in just one project, which is amazing. So you are talking right now about the the fifth act of the Correct. of the Cantari program is like that what you call change from within. To the listeners who don't know about that, by the end of this week, after the dream speeches have been held, the participants begin this fifth act, change from within. And you, Paul, and I think all the team, you believe this is the very important starting phase of the future Cantaris. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> well, see, there's, there's, first of all, there's a, there's a sad and happy moment at the same time when we have to say goodbye, right? Because it's, it's a very intense time when they are here on campus. You know, there's a lot of friendships that develop amongst themselves, right, amongst us and them. It's not a regular institute, uh, I would say, where there's quite of a distance where they we're happy to see the students go. And, you know, it's a, that's, a, that's a difference, right? So it's sad to see them go, but at the same time, it, it makes me happy as well because now I know once they go, back that's when you know the change that they want to see is going to take effect and of course not all of them will be successful that that would be too good of a dream you know and uh, it's like somebody will be more successful than others but for them their life has changed they had seven months here where they personally grown and they all go back and i'm sure that every single one of them will improve lives of others 
surrounding them, be it in a, on a personal level or in the level of, you know, starting that organization that they, you know, wanted to start uh, in the first place. And, and that's, that's for us is where when we get messages coming back that, yeah, we got the first funding, right? Or we got our first training done with 20 women. Uh, we got another, uh, like, what's his name? Uh, Stephen Onyang in Kenya. He started, this is several years back, he started the first Albert Schweitzer school. It's like an orphanage for AIDS orphans. And he opened it on 1st of January with 80 students, right? And we were like, wow, that's great. On the 2nd of January, he had 160 students. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So, and and of course, the, the sad part was there's another 80 orphans that, you know, that, that are there, AIDS orphans. But the good part is then, well, they can now go to school. Right. And now he has 284 students. <laughs> so, and that's a nice thing to see these, you know, to see the path because we're, we're, I'm pretty much in touch with all of them, you know, over the years and now with WhatsApp, you know, like, so every day this morning was with Pinoy in the Northeast. I was with Lawrence in, uh, in Nigeria this morning. So there's, there's lots of people that we're in touch with and, and you see the growth of their projects themselves as personalities that's fantastic that's that's really a big reward that we get yeah it's amazing but tell me how do you organize your days or your weeks i mean having so so many things to do <laughs> running the cantari campus together with Sabri, taking care of the cantaris keeping in touch with the alumni communicating being always connected and available i mean every time i ask you something you just answer like in about 30 minutes how do you manage your days also um, only dispose 24 hours <laughs> well we 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 work a lot that's, that's the first thing. So we work seven days a week and we get up at five. So usually we're in the office by 5.30 in the morning. So, but we love what we do, right? So it's not work. That's, that's one. So I really enjoy being here. I enjoy talking to you. Afterwards, I have some more calls, right? I, I love what we do. And this is the, I think the key part to that is planning, right? Having a good planning system. And, and I have a very simple planning system. I have a big to-do list, but I sort it in Excel. I have a third column, right? First, the date when you add some task, then you describe the task, then you have a column where you put the, the priority, one, two, three, four, five. And every morning when I come in, I go through this list, I add new parts there, and then I put them to one, two, three, four, five. One is today. So then my, you know, two is today or tomorrow, three is this week, four is within the, the coming, the, within these two weeks, and five is basically not that, that, that urgent. And then I saw that. So the first day, you know, what I have to do is see all the ones are there. Then I go through the ones once again and say, okay, here's number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. how much, whatever there is. And then you just go from one to the next and, and uh, see for Sabria, because she's responsible for the academic part. I'm more in the office, right? And I do several sessions, but not as much as Sabria. Sabria does a lot of sessions. And so for her, it's the, the planning basically is done in March, she already knows what she's going to do in November in the second session, <laughs> right? Because the whole curriculum is done, right? So, and, okay. and this is one of the parts where some of the participants are still struggling, not seeing, see, I'm, I'm happy I can say that, that this system works. And I think you have to find your own system, but you have to have a system, right? Because otherwise it's not going to work. And setting priorities, time is, is, is of the essence. And one more thing I want to share, because like I already said, life is unfair, a lot of people, they complain about it, that life is unfair. Yes, it's unfair. But there are two things, there are two things only. And if you know more, tell me, because I have asked everyone, uh, I ask if they know more things, right? There are two things that are equal for every single person on the planet, as long as you're alive. What are these two things? One, you get 24 hours in the day. And two, you die. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you know that anything else is equal for everyone on the planet? I don't think there's anything like anything else, right? People say no, love. No. I, I disagree because some people get more love than other people. So this yeah, is, and so people don't don't love at all. Exactly. So this is the only thing you agree, I guess, right? At least for now. Maybe you come up with yeah, something. I'm totally you tell with you. So yeah. now, if knowing these two facts that you have 24 hours a day and you're going to die at some point, right? And you have some plans in life. Why are that not more people worried about what they do with these 24 hours? That's my question, right? And I think if you're, un if you're unhappy, right? If you're unhappy in life at this point, I think you haven't found what it is that you really want to do. And I urge people, I urge any listener, if you are feeling that unhappiness and frustration and depression and, and whatever, in whatever way, I think you should really look at yourself and say like, who is that person and what is that person good at and what does that person want to do? And if you can answer that, try to find a matching, you know, work or job, whatever you want to call it, because it's not going to be a job anymore because you're going to be whistling, going to that particular place to do that activity, whatever it is. I mean, it's like I have no words because I can I can relate to that. <laughs> I can totally relate to well, that. Well, you love what you do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely. That's why I'm doing it. Otherwise, exactly. I won't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm really lucky for that. It's like I'm grateful for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But um, I haven't thought about that like that. It's just... It's that simple, it's, right? It's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. It's not rocket science. A lot of people, they, they, they have a lot of complicated things. They do IQ tests and all that stuff. It's not about the IQ or the EQ that you have. It's what you're passionate about. And if you if you really are finding something that you... See, life is what you're happy getting up for. Yeah. <laughs> life is what you're happy getting up for. And if you're not happy getting up in the morning, there's something wrong. And well, I'm sorry to say, but the only person that, that the first you know, the first step to change that, that is you. Nobody else. You can point fingers at anyone. The whole world is against me. Everything is unfair. No, no. You are responsible for the next step. And and you have choices. You have choices. That's right. So <laughs> we're almost done. Okay. But we're not done. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's talk um, Let's talk about the Cantari curriculum. You said it's a journey in five acts. Yep. And you take the participants through a series of activities that led them to begin or to being able to start their own social ventures or initiative. Correct. Uh, we've talked about the fifth act, but uh, can we speak a little bit about the other four? The other four acts. Okay, good. So, well, actually, we, have ever, we, we introduced, because of the pandemic, we organized a act zero. Oh. <laughs> and so, <laughs> So we have changed our, our curriculum a little bit because Act Zero starts once, you know, it starts two months before people come here. And it is a little bit about, you know, the basics of getting familiar already with all the preparations that you're ready to do the course. So you have to learn a little bit about fundraising, about setting up a database, about informing yourself who is, who is also active in a similar field so that you know who not are your competitors, but who are your, how to say, companions in the same battle that you are fighting, right? Okay. Uh, the future ones. Yeah. So that, that's that's done online. Uh, so we do several sessions online, one session a week for, we break it up in smaller groups. We, did, we started that this year first. And uh, so then they come here and then we have act one. Act one is one part is we take people through a fictitious country. It's a very interesting and very intense journey um, with a lot of, it's a lot of interesting, let's say, occurrences that will happen and that's one part of it and then the second part is basically some general skills and knowledge right so accounting you know it has to be done right it's part of it and uh, accounts are very important uh, you have to learn how to write letters communication you know there's a lot of things that are uh, different and and as i mentioned we have some people here that were never in school 
right? So we we have to level it out with those people who are you know very advanced and have PhDs. So we mix them and they help each other as well. That's also what a participant is instead of a student. Right, a participant participates, right, and they contribute in that sense. So then, that's Act One. Then Act Two is where they start with their venture profile. So in Act One already, we we take them to a washing machine. We call it the washing <laughs> machine. So basically, what we do is we we shred their idea, their project idea into, or we not shred, but we we take it apart and all the bits and pieces and the elements that it has. And then in Act Two, what once the washing machine is done, they have rebuilt it. But now with one big difference, with a solid foundation, right? So if you you if you have a great plan, but you don't have a good foundation, it will fail. So the first thing is to have a solid foundation. That's the first part. Then the second part of Act 2, and normally we travel through uh, south of India to visit other Kantaris that have you know, already set up their organization. So that that is a very important part for our participants to see proof of the method that we have. So they see that the next five, four or five months, because they're very intensive, right? It's very, it's, it's uh, four sessions of 90 minutes every day, right? It's uh, four days a week, you know, Wednesday, they have time to work on assignments. So then they, they create their venture profile. So, uh, sorry, the venture profile is done. Then they go exposure visits, right? It's it's called best practice collection. So this year, what we've done, we uh, went online with that and we had some African graduates who uh, showed you know, our participants through their projects, holding a phone in hand, going through the different departments. It was very interesting, very inspiring great, for yeah, both yeah, parties, yeah. for some of the participants that have done this for only two or three years to show what was possible in these two, three years. Uh, you heard Akina saying that, right? In, in yeah, the interview, yeah, right? Yeah, so, and, yeah. uh, and then we had, so then we go into Act uh, 3, which was different this year. It's called BASH. And it's, it's business and social change. And so... What we had in the past is because we have five color Kantaris. We have only one that is like a social change maker in the, in the, in the traditional sense of a social entrepreneur, where usually money making is, is seen as an important part. That's the orange one, right? So, for example, Ojok, who is the beekeeper, blind beekeeper from mm-hmm. Uganda, yeah, one he, of the first he has honey that, that he can yeah. use as an income generator, right? So then he can pay with that. Then we have the green Kantari, which is all about training, and training costs money, so they will depend on donations, right? It's very hard if you do a training that you also make the money, or you have to charge, but then, of course, if you want to help the poorest of the poor, you can't charge them, so they have to get scholarships, and that's, again, depending on donations. Then you have the yellow Kantari. Uh, this is all about technology. So Sabrina's white cane, for example, right? It's, it's a, a stick. costs $270. Why? Because it's made by someone that makes money on the back of a person that's in a situation that he or she did not choose to be in, but because it's paid for by, usually by uh, insurance companies, the prices are ridiculous. So a yellow Kantari creates technology that is needed by a sector or section of the society, and they need that to be part of the society. So it's low at no cost, you know, open hardware technology. So in Tibet, we developed Tibetan Ubuntu. There was no windows for Tibetan language. And we developed uh, a, um, uh, how to say, the, the speech synthesizer in Tibetan as well. And that's all free. So anyone in Tibet can use a computer free, you know, uh, you know, they don't have to pay for the software to be able to have text spoken to them. That's what yellow Kantaris do. Then the red Kantaris, well, the Sabrias of this world, these are the, uh, the activists, the Jane Waiteras, right? They fight for a, a cause. They always need money. Right, because they they don't make money. They what they do uh, campaigns they will cost money. So they have to find people that believe in their ideas and invest in that. They invest in a better tomorrow. And then the last one is the purple Kantari. These are you know the the artists, 
And artists have a huge reach if you look at Bono of YouTube, right? If he says something, right, the world hears it, right? Because it's Bono, right? So, and, and uh, so they have, a, they have a huge potential. All of them have in common that, you know, the investment in any of those Kantaris, the return of investment is not money, but it's a better world. And I think at this point in time, the best return that we can have <laughs> is a better world, a cleaner, a greener, a better, a more equal. You know, it, it, that's, that's what we should all stand behind because it is for all of us, right? And we can do that. I'm sure that we can do that. So then we come to the fourth act, that's where we are right now. And right now they are on stage in our auditorium and they are practicing for, you know, the big speech, they get a backpack, basically a virtual backpack full of tools. We're filling that right now. And what, in two weeks, they're going home and they're going to start with registration and, and start to run their projects. That's how it is. Yeah, that's amazing. And in this fourth act, like before we begin with the fifth one, um, the Cantari talks, they will be held by the end of the week later. Um, later on, we will mention the details for the live stream. Please, dear listeners, join us in this journey. Paul, tell us a bit more about what we can expect from the Cantari talks. Why are they so so special? What are the topics they are going to uh, you are going to be talking about? Okay, so Cantari talks 2021 will take place on the 17th and 18th of December, and because of COVID and the pandemic, we we have only a very small audience here, but we're gonna go live stream. So you can go to kantaritalks.org and you can catch them. Of course, we're in Indian Standard Time. So all the times mentioned on our website are Indian Standard Time. So that you please, you know, make sure that if you're in Europe, uh, that's four and a half hours in Germany and uh, Switzerland, uh, Eastern, uh, the, the Standard Time Europe. So what can we expect? See, we, we looked at the, when we started Kantari many, many years ago, we, we looked at inspiring talks. And we saw, of course, TED. TED platform is fantastic. TEDx is, is you know, like it's a spin-off. Amazing talks, 10 minutes, 18 minutes, and you're blown away. But that was, we missed something. And what we missed was, what these people can talk fantastically, but do, are they subject matter experts? If you're a great storyteller, I know several people that went on, tech, uh, on TED, but if you look a little bit further, there's not much behind it. Right? So they have a great story. Just a talk. Exactly. Are they subject matter experts? So we said, you know, we want to do it different. So what we did is we have a 10-minute talk, and then we have two people in a panel on campus. They sit in the table in front of the speaker, and we have one online journalist. Usually they're journalists or, or people in the, in, the, I say in the media sector, and they listen first to the talk, and then they come with critical questions. So they, they're really going to fry them a bit on, okay, but how? <laughs> Where, when, uh, why does it cost yeah. so, uh, this? You know, why does it cost that? You know, like, so they really, and that, that's a little bit of a, uh, how to say, test for the participants, right, of what they can expect when they go home because they will get these questions, right? So, and that's a big difference between the TED Talks. So there's two days, we have 16 talks. The subjects that are covered are from, on one side, it's the environmental issues, Right. So we have um, there's one uh, then there we have social issues uh, like there's domestic violence. There is reproductive health and sanitation. Then we have one guy who is, is from India. And I think you spoke to him or you will speak to him. He's a stutterer. So a stammerer. Yeah. Um... And Puneet. And Puneet is going to talk about, you know, what 
that does to his life and what he wants to change. And I think his talk is going to be very interesting because he has some very good examples. We've got Nimatula, who's from Afghanistan, who has um, uh, muscular dystrophy. So his muscles are, are kind of disappearing. He's quite stable now. He's in his 20s and he can't go home. He can't go back to Afghanistan. So... He has a an amazing story. We have, yeah, we have all of them. Yeah, have, have a look at Kantari Talks a lot. There's a short description of each one, and you pick the one you want to listen to. And even if you can't make it live, it's not the end of the world because we record them and later on we put them on our Kantari TV uh, YouTube channel so they can be watched there as well. Yeah, Paul. Just one quick question: Is this like um, this online online stream? Is this going to be only at, at at the Cantari website, or you can you can watch it somewhere else? It's going to be on YouTube. So we have we what we do is on YouTube. There's an unlimited number of people that could watch live. So the CantariTalks.org. If you go there, there we will find a link that has to be clicked, and then you're in. That's it. So Paul, thank you so much. I'm very glad you have made it to uh, today, and and. And to, to have met you, and it's really comforting to know there are persons like you out there. What you are doing is worth a lot to many people, also to me. And I know a lot of people who are like really inspired for your work. Thank you. Well, thank you. No, thank you, man. As a really, I'm, and and it's really happy that you made it. And, um, and what is really nice is that we I listened to Akina this morning, and and yeah. it, it's so it's it's just nice to see. You know that for, for me, every time when we, especially when when if you interview them, it's still different. It's it's definitely different than if we speak to them, right? Because it is from an external uh, resource, and to see because she just walked by this morning here, right? And I was listening to her, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just she's a all, all in all these these people. You know, like it's 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 special. We're lucky, man. We're seriously lucky. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But I'm I'm also lucky because I'm being part of it. And uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's it's great to have to see see their story spread. And I hope that we so many more people see. What, what I'm always so sad about is, is that so many people go to Spider Man. Millions of people see that, and they they for for two hours they're in the cinema. They spend all this money, and they come back with the same old story. In the end, he wins. Yeah, yeah. And if they would have listened to any of the podcasts here, millions of people. They would come out and they were like, "Hey, I've got to do something too, right?" Yeah, it's like, it's yeah, a, yeah, and yeah. that's and that's so sad. Also, Blindside, Blindside was a flop as such because it was seen by very few people in comparison to these regular movies, right? And I think it's uh, as as just sad. It's just sad, man. But yeah, anyway, we we yeah. try to spread as much as we can. That's the thing. So the new Cantaris are about to finish this year's training. These change makers from eight countries are going to present their captivating life stories of resilience and hope. Join the live stream to listen to inspiring solutions for global and local problems. By the end of this week, Friday the 17th and Saturday the 18th of December, look for the streaming link and more infos on the program and on our show notes. And there we are at the end of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. You'll find the stories of the Cantari alumni and the Giraffe Heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday in Spotify, iTunes, our homepage and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Dear listeners, if there is a friend, a family member, an organization, or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking the neck out, just nominate them as a Giraffe Hero or tell us about them. Come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, but... 
More importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 